Thanks for joining us for our podcast, Putting It Together. My name is Christina Clayton, one of the co-directors of the Northwest Mental Health Technology Transfer Center. We are part of a national network to disseminate and implement evidence-based practices for mental health into the field. We are coming to you from Seattle, Washington, and our Northwest region covers Alaska, Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. However, in this virtual world, we have connected with people from all over, and we are very grateful to connect with you today. One of our goals is to provide free training and technical assistance in mental health topics. And now we are offering a podcast because we were told there weren't many podcasts out these days. Just kidding. But truly, we hope you hear some useful information and or inspiration that helps you put it together when working in this challenging and amazing field we call mental health. You can find out more about us, including our live event calendar, free online courses, resource library, and newsletter sign up by visiting our website at mhttcnetwork.org backslash Northwest. International Overdose Awareness Day is held each year on August 31st. We mark this day to remember those who have been lost to fatal drug overdose, as well as honoring and recognizing those who have been rescued from or assisted in rescuing someone from an overdose. This is a painful subject as many of us have lost people in our lives, personally and professionally. Moreover, we have the tools to prevent these fatal overdose deaths, which numbered more than 70,000 in 2019 alone. Having naloxone readily available is the most effective way to prevent these deaths. With opioids and specifically fentanyl ravaging our communities, we still need to do more, including reducing the stigma of overdose and drug use so we can save lives. In this episode, we speak with Sean Hemmerly, overdose education and naloxone distribution consultant at the Washington State Department of Health. We discuss important contextual issues regarding opioids, racial justice and equity, mental health, and the importance of harm reduction. We hope this inspires you to put together an approach that includes these life-preserving tools. We thank you for the work that you do. So I'm very happy to introduce our presenter, Sean Hemmerly. He is the Overdose Education and Naloxone Distribution Consultant at the Washington State Department of Health. He facilitates statewide naloxone distribution to organizations that work with people at risk of experiencing or witnessing overdoses. Before joining DOH in 2019, Sean worked as a community health outreach worker for the Tacoma Needle Exchange. And if I'm correct, Sean, that was the first needle exchange in the country. It was the first syringe exchange program to receive government funding. Ah, thank you. Um, thank you. There, there were a couple more that, that preceded TNE that worked underground or didn't receive government funding, but yeah. Sure. It's a, it's a notable difference, but thank you. I knew we had some uh, history yeah. here in Tacoma. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> he received a BA in cultural anthropology and social welfare in 2017 from the Evergreen State College, and we're very happy to have you. Was there a key moment that led you into this role or this position um, in doing naloxone distribution and this kind of work? I don't know about a key moment. Uh, like you mentioned, you know, I worked for a number of years at the Tacoma Needle Exchange where I got to um, distribute many naloxone kits, and I got to hear the the stories that our participants shared with us, you know, about how, you know, they were able to save lives 
by having naloxone available, you know, naloxone kits that we had provided to them. And, you know, just um, the feeling that they, that they gave, you know, like, you know, many of them, you know, you know, seemed really empowered by, you know, the the fact that they um, could save a life or many lives. You know, we, we had, you know, many participants who have saved many lives, you know, and I myself was saved with naloxone back in uh, uh, early 90s. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't be here without it. Wow, thank you. So it's been around far longer than it's been in local agencies and becoming more part and parcel of, of what is in part of our, our safety kit. So that's good to know. How does overdose prevention align with harm reduction principles for those that maybe are familiar with harm reduction principles or maybe aren't? How does this fit into that? Sure. Well, harm reduction, when we you know look at it from a substance use frame, it's all about you know using whatever substances, substance or substances that you're about to do, using them in the safest in the safest and healthiest way possible. And what we're seeing right now with regards to illicit fentanyl and the way that it's sort of found its its way into many of the drugs that are being sold on the street, um, it doesn't matter what you're using nowadays, be it heroin or methamphetamine or cocaine, you should all, always be prepared to respond to an opioid overdose because there is a very real possibility that fentanyl has found its way into whatever you're about to take. And naloxone will reverse the effects of a fentanyl overdose. So what I hear you saying is regardless of your your substance of choice, you might be at risk for getting an overdose because of the fentanyl making its way into all of these substances on the street. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a very important thing for people to really know. Uh, We can't really have silos of this kind of user, that kind of substance preference. Um, It's messy right now and dangerous, life-threatening. How do racial justice and health inequities issues intersect with opioid use and or service approaches? Wondered what your thoughts are on that. Well, it's a, I would say, you know, for those of us who are old enough to remember um, the quote unquote crack cocaine epidemic of the late eighties and early nineties. And the way we approached that is much different from the way that we're approaching opioid use currently and and substitutes currently. Back then it was framed much more, you know, from a criminal legal approach. And, you know, we saw many people getting locked up for for great lengths of time. Now it's due to, you know, the different complexion of the of the skin on the face of the, you know, your average user, um, at least with what's being shown on, you know, media and television opioid use and substance use of being approached from a more medical, you know, perspective. And, and that, you know, could have to, could very well be because, you know, we don't have the medications to um, address stimulant use like we do with opioids, you know, in the form of methadone or buprenorphine, suboxone. However, we could have taken a more medical approach (laughs) regardless, you know, back then, Unfortunately, you know, there's there many folks who are still in, in prison, you know, to this day, you know, due to the tactics that were in place back then. So, yeah, that's so really it's uh, 
making generalizations here, but a, a wider group using opioids and therefore getting a much more yeah. uh, medicalized response and lots of money pouring in. And at the same time, we have really forgotten a lot of other communities. And that's not to say that opioid use doesn't affect communities sure. of color. Absolutely. Um, primarily um, Native American communities are Native American p- communities are especially hard hit when we look at the overdose rates, you know, in proportion to uh, population rates. Yeah. I mean, o- opioid use and opioid overdose is affecting everyone right now. It doesn't matter the color of your skin or your race, ethnicity, where you live, you know, your income. Thank you. Sure. But history matters, you know, that's, uh, it's helpful if you do have that perspective that we are taking a different approach and um, everyone's at risk. So we need to keep going. Wondering, you know, we're coming from the Mental Health Technology Transfer Center, wondered what you see as how does a person's mental health affect their vulnerability to opioid use and or the effects of opioid use? And is there anything that's different or something we should know as providers or community members when people have mental health issues as well and are intersecting with opioids? Um, Opioids are not only a physical painkiller, they are a fantastic emotional painkiller. You know, for many, they are a, an antidepressant, you know, even though they're not technically considered such. And those with, you know, serious mental health issues or, you know, um, those who have experienced trauma in the past or are experiencing trauma currently, um, opioids can be a fantastic way of addressing and relieving that me- the mental pain, emotional pain, pain associated from trauma, both physical and mental. So don't be surprised if you are a mental health provider and you have patients who, even though they might not have <clears throat> physical pain that needs to be addressed, they are using opioids because they are very good at you know, emotional and mental pain. Thank you. And then lastly, are there any approaches to substance use treatment or overdose prevention right now that you find encouraging on the horizon? Sure. Um, Canada is doing some fantastic work regarding um, safe supply. And safe supply simply is where government typically would step in and provide a regulated and controlled um, substance to someone who needs it. And this could be in the form of stimulants. It can be in the form of opioids. Canada is looking at providing prescription stimulants in the form of amphetamines, uh, possibly cocaine as well. Prescription opioids in the form of uh, Dilaudid and possibly heroin. Countries over in Europe have been doing prescription heroin for many years. Switzerland has been doing it since 1994. And Switzerland, as some of us know, is a very, very conservative country. Um, yet they have medicalized heroin. Here in Washington, um, we're seeing a great increase in low barrier buprenorphine prescribing. There are some syringe service programs that have bup prescribers on site. And so someone who is visiting the syringe service program to obtain uh, new injection supplies can also meet with a prescriber and get, in, get inducted on the buprenorphine that, during that same visit, uh, depending on their ability to take the buprenorphine. I mean, some people might not be able to, to take it right then and there due to the presence of opioids in their system. But, you know, we, we are we're making headway, but you know, there's a lot more work that we can do. Well, thank you so much, Sean, for this really informative and life-saving conversation. You can find resources related to the episode in our show notes. So be sure to check those out. 
Learn more about us by visiting our website at mhttcnetwork.org backslash Northwest. You can also follow us on social media at NWMHTTC. This broadcast is brought to you by the Northwest MHTTC, which is funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, or SAMHSA. However, the content does not necessarily reflect the views of SAMHSA. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to connecting with you again so we can keep putting it together. Take care.